Shall we bow in a word of prayer? Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that we can gather around your word. We ask that with this change of weather that you would be with those who are traveling, that you would comfort and guide those who cannot come and fellowship around your word, that you would allow their hearts to know that you are there also. We ask this morning that you would be with the speaker, that you would open this word to him, that you would give him even natural strength, and that as listeners we could be refreshed, and that spirit could bring encouragement and guidance from your word. We ask that you would be with our community, that you would bless us, that you would lead us and give us leaders that look to you for guidance, and that you would do that for our nation also, and that you would give us faith to trust that you are in charge. We ask that you would be with these little ones that you blessed us with. Give us wisdom to lead and guide. Give faith to them and to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Someone have a song we can continue with? 242. 
nice to see everybody out this morning. Shane mentioned the weather changing in his prayer, and, and I don't know if I'm the only one, but it takes a bit more effort to get going and get chores done and vehicles going and all that. So it's good to see everybody here. For a text this morning, we'll look at the, at the sixth chapter of Romans. I'll read from the 8th verse through to the 18th verse, reading these words in Jesus' name. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Amen. Sixth chapter of Romans. Did I, did I not say that? Verses 8 to 18. Greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied unto each one gathered here now and forever. Amen. I was having a hard time knowing where to speak from. I'm sure Shane or anyone else that's up here occasionally has that. Knows what I'm talking about. In the in the chapter just before this, chapter 5, I can't break those words down to the way I'd like to, but, but it says there that 12th verse and on a few verses, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, speaking of our original parents, and Adam in, in particular, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed unto all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin, was, sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, de- death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Like I say, I was trying to break that down into into uh, 
little morsels that I could understand better, and I'm not able to, but we see that, well, we know the story of Adam and Eve, how they fell into sin, and, and they were they were living in, in freedom and, and in God's total and complete blessings until they fell from that. And here it says that when they fell into that, the death came upon man. We don't know. I guess it's, it's really irrelevant in a way, but we think, well, what would have happened if they, if they hadn't sinned? If, well, maybe if they hadn't, somebody else would have. But God gave man free will, and he decided to go his own way. I guess we put it that, that simply. And when we speak of death, we always think of of uh, maybe something dark and dreary, and not not a not a place where light shines much, if at all. And I was just looking at at um, the first chapter of John, how it talks about about light coming into this world. We think of death as darkness and, and life as, as light. It says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The light is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. We have, we have intelligent scientists and all that explaining to us how the, how the world is, I don't even know how many billion years old, but they, it seems like they all put a different, different number on it. Here it says that of, of our Lord... Savior Jesus Christ that he was the world was made by him and the world knew him not it's it's uh, that's where we are when we're in darkness he came to his own and his own received him not he came into the into the uh, Jewish people and we know that some received him, but, but most of them didn't. And, and as a nation, they didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the, I guess this is the miracle of, of the Christmas story. We've just come through that season and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Think of Jesus coming from such a glorious place as heaven. We can't even comprehend the beauty of it. And of course, the, the, I guess to me, the biggest beauty and the greatest beauty is that there's no sin there. We talk of of uh, things that they speak of in Revelations. There will be no need for heat. There will be no need for us to worry about being hungry or hot or cold or anything. We will get all these things from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is light and he is life. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, that he, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's that that I read in the fifth chapter, it says, Until the law... Here we see Moses was given the law and he gave it, of course, to the people for the law. For until the law, sin was in the world. There's a lot of years, I guess, I guess people have figured out how many years between Adam and Moses. There was a long time for the law was given for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin was not imputed where there is no law. And this is the part that I'm I'm trying to break down into sizable pieces where I can digest it. But the only thing I can think of is that in the Old Testament times, in those times, God spoke directly to people. And we see that often, how he speaks to those patriarchs of old. And then the law came along. Moses gives the law. Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. It doesn't mean that that men don't sin, and it doesn't mean that men are free to sin. It just says that there's. It's not. An, it's not held against them. Sin isn't held against them when there is no law. And we know that even even simple things like a like a traffic law, if if we don't have any law in some certain area maybe you're not supposed to back out onto a road and, and there's no specific written law saying you can't do that it's it's not held against you and then of course if the province or country makes a law that that's wrong wrong to do and you do it then you broke the law Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So, so up, until, up until the law was given, this is the way people lived. But there was still sin in this world. And here it talks about, about death and life. And it says that seventh verse, which I didn't read here in my text, it says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. And then of course it explains it a little a little more in detail here. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. There's there's two two instances I think of where it speaks of of people being dead and the one the one is the story of the prodigal son. He isn't dead physically, but but his father says to the older son later on in the story that this my son was dead and is alive again. When the, when the younger son left his father's house and went into that far country, 
First of all, he asks his father for whatever inheritance comes to him. I believe that would be a picture of, of faith. That's our inheritance. And as far as the natural things that we might inherit, some, some don't inherit anything and some inherit quite a bit. It's not talking about that. I think it's talking about the things of faith. And the younger son, of course, takes that as he goes. And he goes into this far country. And in time, we don't know how much time, but he finds himself falling away from faith. And he finds himself, and it's, it's pictured as though he were out in the field of this master feeding swine. And he's not only feeding them, but he's trying to find sustenance himself in that, that he's feeding the swine. And he's finding himself hungrier and hungrier and in want. So this is why the father says that when the son returns, he says, this my son was dead and he is alive again. He that is dead is freed from sin. Dead, dead to sin. He, he, was, he was dead in sin and trespasses in sins when he was in the far country. The other, the other thing I think of is, is Lazarus dying and his sisters are, are concerned about him. His sisters were wishing that Jesus had been there because he wouldn't have died. And Jesus is several days journey away from there. And Jesus says that he's, he's, uh, he's not going to go there immediately. Not to, not to, to put people in, in distress or, or anything like that, but that, that he, he knew he would bring Lazarus to life again. And, of course, it was four days before it happens. And they asked him, where, where is he laid? And they, they show Jesus where Lazarus is. And they make that statement that he's been dead four days. And he's beginning to break down and decay and, and not, doesn't smell very good. Jesus goes in there. And, and it doesn't say that Lazarus was such a sinner. But it's just a picture of death and life, I think. And... Jesus goes in there and it says he was he was heavy and he sighed and he he um, well I don't know how you'd say it he wasn't comfortable with with these people and and their attitude or their saying that he if he if he'd have been there Lazarus wouldn't have died but anyways, Jesus goes into the room where, where Lazarus is, where his body is, and says, Lazarus, come forth, and cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus stirred and came back to life. And then he tells the people, take those funeral clothes off him. He, he was bound in, in these linens, his body and, and his his head, loose him and let him free. And I think that's what happens when we, when we become freed from sin. 
death represents sin and the, the grave clothes represent that, that that we're clothed with. Instead of the robe of righteousness, we're clothed with these with these grave clothes. And and it's all a it's all a picture of darkness and light, and death and life, all these things. So here it here it talks about being dead with Christ. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. It gives us a picture of the difference between our, our carnal thinking and us looking above and beyond this life and the, the all the things that we encounter in this life whether with whether it's with our work or our relationships with other people or all the things we come in contact with with different things every day and often we have a hard time looking above these things and looking up into the face of Jesus the song the song that comes to mind is, is I look not back and I look not round me I look not inward that would make me wretched all these things are so prevalent in our day to day life but the last verse is but I look up into the face of Jesus for there my heart can rest my fears are still and there is joy and love and light for darkness perfect peace and every hope is it fulfilled so we take our eyes off these things that are all around us this morning I got up and stoked up the fire and I'm having a little trouble with my boiler and got it going and then went and did chores and, and, and we can be so tied up in these things it's hard to it's hard to look up and above and beyond these things because we spend a lifetime we spend a lifetime getting up every morning and doing these things and I have to say I'm, I'm thankful for this nice couple of last months we've had and, and I probably started taking it for granted and it's now the the news is telling us that we're getting some cold weather and winter's here sort of thing. But anyways, we, we, have, we have trouble looking up and above and beyond these things. We might have trouble in our, in our homes, in our lives, maybe in our families, whatever it might be. We have trouble looking up and above this. Here he's instructing us to look to Jesus. We're told in Isaiah that when Jesus was, I believe it's speaking of the time when he was entered Gethsemane with his disciples, suffered and died, and all those things that took place. And if we um, concentrate just on those kind of things, it's hard to 
it's hard to see that there's any hope. But when, when the Marys went to the tomb and looking for Jesus, and they were going to do a little more proper embalming because everything was done so hastily the night before that the angel tells her he's not here. He's risen. He's alive. He's living. Like he said he was going to. He told the disciples these, disciples these things, but he, he also told them that keep this to yourself until I rise from the dead. I'm sure they had no understanding of what he was saying. And of course we see with Thomas he was going to even make a big point of saying that unless I can thrust my hand into his side and put my fingers into those nail prints I, I, I can't believe it I won't believe it Jesus offers him that it doesn't say that Thomas had to go ahead and do those things that he said he had had to do but he just says my Lord and my God we want to die to sin this is what this is talking about if we be dead with Christ. We don't, we don't worship Jesus in that way that we stay in that state of his heaviness that he had in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he, he began to be very heavy of heart and sorrowful. I don't, I don't think it was because of the physical that he had to go through with. I think it was because of his grieving for man. That man would keep falling into sin. I say that the devil has a, a few tricks up his sleeve. And because generation after generation comes into this world and, and we're tempted with the same things, he goes through his list and we fall for these things. And we might say he always comes up with something new, but he always tempts us the same way. And we fall for it. We want to die to these things. We want them to be in our past. We don't want to dwell on, on those things. We don't have to dwell on, on things we've fallen into, things we've had bothering us, things and sins we've put away. We don't have to dwell on these things. We're free from them. And we'll live in that. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. This, this, is, this is the life that he gives us. Here, here in this life. And of course, we know that we will live eternally with him. Which is that beautiful heaven's shore that we look forward to when there will be no more as, as it says in Revelations no more death no more sighing no more crying no more tears knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more death hath no more dominion over him we, we read that the Roman soldiers 
put him on the cross, and this is where he died, and it's true. But Jesus says that I have the power to lay my life down. How many of us have that power for that cause, for others, for the sins of the world? And he says, I have the power to raise myself to life again. The Easter song says, death could not hold his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. When Jesus came back, a glorified Savior. When he meets Mary there and he says, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. I try to break these things down, as I say, and, and it must be that if she was to touch him or hold him or her, hug him and recognize him as a Savior, maybe he'd be contaminated with sin again. He says, don't touch me. But once he, once he goes to the Father, and there's not anything recorded of that, other than that little instance there. Once he goes to the Father, then he returns. I believe the Father, he presented himself to the Father, and the Father found him to be 100% acceptable. You have died and risen again for the sins of all mankind. God says in other places, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is before he came back, a risen Savior. He was a perfect being, and we can't comprehend that. He was also perfect in that, that he gave his life a sacrifice for our sins. He doesn't die anymore. They could have taken him, and, and this is a kind of a maybe a funny thought, but they could have taken him when he, came, when he came back as a risen Savior and tried to kill him again. He didn't do that. In fact, he didn't show himself to the ungodly. He, he showed himself to the believers. We might say to the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind, which is us. He doesn't die anymore. He, would, he, would, he, he couldn't be harmed anymore. He was, he was risen from the dead. He was a glorified being. And yet, it's something we can't understand because he asked those two disciples that brought him into their home. He asked for something to eat, and they gave him something to eat, and he ate it. He says, I'm not a spirit. I'm not an apparition. You think I'm an apparition? Fleeting around the room or whatever. They don't say that, but that's my... My terminology, but no, he's not. He's, he's the living God, and he's our Savior. He's glorified. He doesn't die anymore. In that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Jesus says in that one place, Father, glorify thy name. And God answers him, says, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again.
This is, all, this is all part of that. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. I think I'm probably not the only one, but if I am, so be it. I have all kinds of interests. I have a few hobbies I like doing. But when it comes to the things of faith, these hobbies aren't supposed to run our lives or be our all in all here or our interests, whatever it might be. They're here for us. I think Luther puts it that way. They're here for us to go through life with. Maybe, maybe our hobbies are, are things that are very necessary. Maybe, maybe you like gardening and you have, a, you have a good supply of things on the table. And, and we need that. Some people like work more than I do. Work is necessary. Work is good. But it can't become our all in all. We are dead to sin, it says. A hobby is not a sin. If, if we enjoy doing something, I enjoy medals. I, I enjoy thinking about the fact that you can take, take what looks like a gob of dirt. And I was reading, I was reading about the history of the, of the Ford Foundation or whatever, Henry Ford and all that he did. And it says that those shiploads of ore iron ore and rubber from all over the world and glass he had his own glass factories and, and he was going through and I don't know if you care for statistics but he was in 1908 his factories were going through a million board feet of wood per day and it says it's hard, it's hard to really put it down in, in figures but it says in about four hours all these things came together and there were cars coming out of the end of the factory. All these things are just natural wood like this here. Glass like in the windows. Four hours, shiploads of iron ore crossing the Great Lakes. Four hours, you have cars coming out the other end. This is, this is technology. This is something that happened 120 years ago. These are all things of this life. They're not sin. They're necessary. They get us through life. Spiritually speaking, we have to have our lives in order. That way. Dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The things of this world are behind us. We make use of them. We live by them. If it wasn't for vehicles, none of us would be here. Shane's about the only one close enough to walk to church. But this is, this is the way these things are. We're not supposed to let sin reign in our mortal body. This, this mortal body that you see here and I see out in front of me. Sin doesn't reign in that mortal body. 
Do we recognize this to be the power of God? Do we think that that's why God draws us? We sang that song softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me, and we, we see that picture of the Laodiceans in, in Revelations, how Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Knock, knock, knock. He's knocking on our heart's door. This isn't, this isn't happenstance. I talked to a man some years ago who was in the hospital and he died the next day. I wasn't there, but that day he said a couple of different times, I'm just so thankful God called me. I didn't know he was going to be gone the next day, but he was. God's calling. This this isn't happenstance. This is his power. This is his calling. This is who he is. He wants us to come into that covenant that he brought unto Abraham. When he says that you will be my people. When when, When Abraham was to circumcise all his household, it says, and I believe that means his family, his servants, he was a wealthy man. He probably had lots of servants, people working for him. He was to circumcise them all and enter into that covenant that Abraham could say, me and my household, all those that are, that are mine and under me. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That was the covenant that that he entered into. And that was a sign to the rest of the world that we're peculiar people, we're different. Why? Not because we have some physical problem, limping or missing a hand or something, but our hearts have been changed. Our will has been changed. Sin isn't reigning in our mortal body anymore. I see these troubles all over the world on the news and and it just seems like Satan is at war with Satan all over the place. And he's confusing people. He's confusing millions and billions of people. The masses. Sin is reigning in those mortal bodies. I pray that God could be lifted up in all lives. It's God's will that all men should be saved. Everyone. Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. I read lots of stories of history, and I'm reading the history of Alaska right now, and it's amazing. And it's been said that what drives men is gold, glory, and God. And, and it seems to be pretty true. If it's God that's driving men, that's good. If it's, if it's gold and glory, 
And of course, if it isn't a living God, that's not good either. But we, we would pray that men would be working for and searching for souls for the living God. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield, unto your, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness, righteousness unto God. There, there's, there's much proof in the scriptures, and there's lots of proof we see in our daily lives that people who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, they take a very, very different path than the unbelieving world. We don't have we don't have members running our lives. Lust and greed and and wants and all these things. They don't run our lives. God says when we come to Him, He'll look after all these things. We're not even to worry about it. We we do worry. We worry if we can pay the bills and all these things. As my child, I will look after these things, God says. Yield yourselves to God. Ask Him to come into our lives. As those that are alive from the dead. We're, we're, not, we're not living in that dead state. Dead in trespasses and sins. We're alive. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness, righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Paul talks about that. Paul talks about that. We we hear this often. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. That do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. I mentioned how our will changes. To will is present with me, he says. The will is there. But how to perform this will? How to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I would, that I do. I think we can all relate to this so much. There's a place that says... I'm not good at looking up things, but it says that what is better that if we make a promise and then don't do it, or or we say we won't do it, but then we go ahead and we do do it. The second is better than the first. The second says, if the natural mind said, no, I'm not going to go and do that, but the heart says, yes, that would be the right thing to do. Go ahead and do it. We don't do that of our own strength. We do that because of an 
inward constraint. It says of Jesus that love constrained him to go to the cross. Would we want to do something like that? Go to the cross? No. Love constrained him. Love said, yes, that would be the right thing to do. Do it. And he did. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I... If I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, how, how, can, how can I make it? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? If I follow after the old man, I won't make it, is what he's saying. Then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the the mind I myself serve the the law of God, but, but with the flesh the law of sin. He talks about the battle there. It says that earlier than this that I read, it says, I was alive without the law once. This is, this is speaking of the Old Testament law that, that came, by Mo, excuse me, came by Moses. Until, there, until that, there was no law. It says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. When there was no law, it says there, I read that at the first. These things weren't held against people. For I was alive without the law once. He thought he was alive. We have to to look at that that way. He thought he was doing fine. He thought he was doing fine when he was persecuting the church. And sending people to their death. He thought he was doing fine. And people were patting him on the back for what a wonderful man he was. But he says, but when the commandment came, sin revived. And I died. Sin became a living, serious problem in his life. But then... Then he talks about how to, how to deal with sin, and he found that when he himself dealt with it, it didn't didn't bring good results. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. The commandment says, "Do these things, and you'll live." You try to do these things, and what he did, it sentenced him to death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Because we can't perform all these things that the law demands, commands us to do. I'm thankful that Jesus came, and he, he fulfilled those laws. He says, I didn't come here to destroy the law. I came here to, to fulfill the law. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. 
Was then that which is good made un death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Take the commandment. It shows us that we're sinners. And it becomes exceedingly sin sinful. Not just, well, I made a mistake. I said the wrong thing or I hurt somebody's feelings but oh well whatever no sin becomes exceeding sinful we didn't just hurt someone's feelings we sinned against God we deal with sin by putting away sin bringing it to the light the word teaches us Mortify. That's how we. That's how we deal with sin. For, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Put sin away. Put it to death. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We don't walk around with a name on the back of our coveralls or clothes saying I am a child of God you know, people, people don't have to read that They're, they can see it in their lives it says we're the sons of God for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father we're sons of God he is our father says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God that's a that's a humbling place to be it's a humbling place to come to and realize I'm, I'm a child of God the song says I'm a child of a king I'm a child of a king with Jesus my savior I'm a child of a king the spirit beareth witness we might have something written on the back of, it, of your cover all saying what you are. But it doesn't speak the same. The Spirit speaks loud and clear that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. How do, we, how do we suffer with him? When, when people wanted to harm Jesus, the, the Jews, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had this problem with Jesus that he's becoming so popular and he's having these big crowds listening to him. The whole world is going after him. What should we do with him? Well, God protected him until his days were over here as a man. And Jesus said, if they're going to do these things to me, they'll do them to you too. We suffer these things. We don't take part in worldly, what do we say, entertainment and activities. 
It's not a glory to God. It says if we suffer with him, the old preacher, Rikkanen, said, and I've quoted it before, but if you, if you want to know something about love, people talk a lot about love. Follow Jesus through the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you, in your mind, try to do this, it's not easy. And of course, we end up with with those disciples that fall asleep. And at first he says, can't you you bear with me for one hour? And then later on he says, take your rest. I have to do this alone. As if we suffer with him, we also may be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Depending on our nature, I guess, as individuals, some of us don't take suffering very good, very well. Maybe some take it a lot better. Whatever way we take it, we're going to be encouraged by this word. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to what it'll be when we reach heaven's shore to spend eternity with our Savior. Sin's forgiven. Sin's gone. Sin's Put back in that dead state. Enjoy the the beauties and the glory of heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we close with a benediction? May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance unto us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Someone have a song to finish? 
for all who wish to join us. Um, as I know, we decided last week, next Saturday, we will have our annual meeting. It's one o'clock here at the hall of work for people. Okay, we'll have, since no one complains, we'll have a meeting here at one o'clock next Saturday. Do you have any other messages? I'll have. Well, I'll be picking up Bible study at my place Thursday evening. Thursday evening, 7 30. I'll just say grace then, and then we'll. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this fellowship that we can have around your word. We thank you that you feed us spiritually and naturally. We ask that you would bless this food that we have. Bless it to our bodies, use, allow us to be healthy and happy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.